0: Right now, we are, as I just said to Chris Hayes, watching the House of Representatives where any moment the bill to avoid catastrophic default is about to face a vote on the House floor. The dynamic here, what you will see unfold tonight, the dynamic, that dynamic was set earlier today when Democrats had to bail out Republicans on a procedural vote that Republicans claimed they could pass on their very own. Prior to that vote, Politico reported, when asked if the GOP would need Democratic help to pass this procedural measure, Majority Whip Tom Emmer said, Republicans are the ones who are running this place and Republicans will pass the bills and that's what we are doing. But in the end, Republicans did not have the votes to pass that measure on their own. They needed 52 Democrats to bail them out. Now, both sides have faced opposition to voting for this deal. Conservatives say it does not go nearly far enough. Progressives have argued that the bill's impact on the poor and the working class is too severe. But the character of that opposition is remarkably different. Take, for instance, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the fringe conservative who has now landed herself a place as one of Speaker McCarthy's top allies. Today, Congresswoman Taylor Green told reporters that she was leaning toward voting yes on this bill, while also repeatedly describing the deal as an expletive sandwich, and also taking that particular metaphor way further than she needed to.
1: So one of the sides, so to speak, that I would like to see with this sandwich is a way to completely wipe out the uh, 87,000 IRS agents. Um, we need a balanced budget, that's for sure. But we need dessert. Okay, everybody needs dessert. I'm a dessert girl. Everyone loves dessert. And that's impeachment. Someone needs to be impeached.
0: Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks this deal is a really very disgusting sandwich, but she was willing to eat that really very disgusting sandwich as long as it came with some good sides. Okay. And the sides she wants are a bunch of things that were never going to get added to this bill before it reached the House floor. Also, she would like dessert, which in this case means impeaching someone, anyone. Just a little impeachment as a treat. That alone should tell you everything you need to know about the way conservatives have been mounting opposition to this bill. What might best be termed alarmingly delusional. By contrast, Democrats remain united around passing this bill and even avoiding default, even as some of them voice their opposition to it. Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries made that very clear in a speech on the House floor just moments ago.
2: House Democrats were clear that we would not allow extreme MAGA Republicans to default on our debt, crash the economy or trigger a job killing recession. Democrats put people over politics. Even though we strongly disagreed with your reckless policies, President Biden understood, despite the hostage-taking situation that you unnecessarily thrust the country into, that we had an obligation, a responsibility, to avoid a catastrophic default.
0: Joining me now is the man himself, House Democratic Leader Hakeem Jeffries of New York, Congressman. Thank you very, very much for being here. I am told that ha- that voting has begun, so we will not keep you too long. But I got to ask you: on this network last night, you said Kevin McCarthy needs to have 150 Republican votes. Do you think he has those votes as of this as of this moment?
2: Well, that actually remains to be seen, uh, but it's still our expectation that House Republicans should put up at least 150 votes, approximately two-thirds of their conference in connection with an agreement that they themselves negotiated. We'll see what occurs on the House floor, but House Democrats remain committed to ensuring that we avoid a catastrophic default because we understand the consequences will be devastating for everyday Americans, for working families, for middle-class folks, for those who aspire to be part of the middle class, for the poor, the sick, and the afflicted, for the people that we fight for each and every day. So we're gonna do our part. Certainly my hope that the extreme MAGA Republicans do their part as well.
0: Do you, did Speaker McCarthy ever reach out to you? He seems to be very much banking on democratic support here and quite a bit of it. Have you talked to him?
2: We talk often, but we have not talked about specific numbers. However, I continue to make the point publicly and in my private conversations with a wide variety of people on the other side of the aisle. Uh, That it's our expectation that in order to get out of this manufactured GOP default crisis, uh, we've got to proceed in a common sense, bipartisan way. And that remains that means Democratic votes and that means Republican votes. And that's hopefully what we'll see on the House floor in a few moments.
0: Do you earlier today during a rules vote, you flashed a green card. I don't think we have a visual of it, but it was a signal to Democrats that they could start voting in support of a bill that was supposed to pass or in support of a provision, effectively, that was supposed to pass with only Republican support. Is something similar in place for tonight if and when Republicans don't meet that 150 vote threshold?
2: Well, we said from the very beginning uh, across the caucus. Uh, that we want to make sure uh, that we protect everyday Americans from the harmful consequences of our economy crashing, which many extreme MAGA Republicans from the very beginning seem determined to bring about, in part, as they've said, because they think it will be in their own political interests in 2024. That's incredibly irresponsible. Uh, earlier today, we had to rescue House Republicans from their own extremism and we're prepared to make sure that we rescue the economy from a catastrophic default. We'll see what that ultimately looks like in terms of numbers, but we are gonna do our part in supporting the leadership of President Joe Biden. We're thankful uh, that he managed to arrive at a resolution that protected Social Security, protected Medicare, protected Medicaid, protected veterans, protected the very important climate change provisions Uh, In the context of the Inflation Reduction Act, protected education, protected public safety and protected the American people from the extreme MAGA Republican proposed cuts that would have hurt the health, the safety and the economic well-being of the American people.
0: How are you feeling about well, I should ask you, what are your fellow, what, is, what, are your, what are your caucus members, what are Democrats telling you as they have to, as you say, be the adults in the room here, basically pull something across the finish line that they wanted nothing to do with, to begin with? What is the general, what is the sentiment inside the Democratic caucus right now?
2: Well, the sentiment is that we've got to get through this moment uh, and we'll continue to support our president. I believe that there will be a strong Democratic vote in support of the resolution that he has negotiated. There will be some Democrats who may vote against the bill on the floor, but everyone is unified in support of President Biden's leadership. We're going to get through this moment, we're going to avoid this devastating default, we're going to continue to push back against Republican extremism, and as we emerge from this moment, uh, work to build upon the incredible success and accomplishments under the leadership of Speaker Pelosi and Senate Democrats, House Democrats, President Biden in the last Congress and building an economy from the middle out and from the bottom up and pushing back against the effort to simply always benefit the wealthy, the well off and the well connected, which is the policy agenda of the extreme MAGA Republicans on the other side of the
0: aisle. You've invoked the president a number of times. Do you have a message for the White House as they contemplate whether to take the debt ceiling off the table entirely as a, a legislative
2: cudgel? Well it's the right thing to do for the American people and I think once we emerge from this uh, manufactured GOP crisis, uh, one of the things that all of us should do legislatively here in the United States Congress, administratively, legally, is to explore all options so that we can remove this weaponized vehicle to hold the American people and the economy hostage in incredibly irresponsible ways. If not for the leadership of President Biden, uh, Democrats in and, and the House and in the Senate holding together, we might even be in a very different situation at this moment. Uh, and we, we can't afford to allow extremists to be able to continue to utilize the debt ceiling to hold the American people hostage moving forward. And we should look at all opportunities to stop that from ever happening again.
0: Yeah, I got to ask you, as you talk about the extremists, we played a little bit of sound from Marjorie Taylor Greene, who earlier said that in exchange for her support for this bill, she effectively wants someone to be impeached. Do you think Kevin McCarthy is going to have to pay the tab on this, which is to say kowtow to the most conservative members of his conference in the days to come? Are you at all concerned about what concessions he might have to make to them? in order to hold on to the speaker's gavel, for example?
2: Well, the American people should continue to be concerned with the extremists that have been on full display and in many ways unleashed. Marjorie Taylor Greene is front and center as a leader of the House Republican Conference. So is George Santos. Their default on America Act passed with the support of George Santos. Uh, And you've got individuals who are totally out of control, like Santos, unfit to serve in the United States Congress but who have become an important part of the fabric of what the modern day House Republicans represent. That's unfortunate. As Democrats, we're going to continue to try to find common ground whenever and wherever possible to put people over politics, do the right thing for the American people. But we will always push back against the extremism whenever and wherever necessary.
0: What do you think the uh, message to the American people should be about the House Republican conference right now, as they're trying to make sense of this. I think Democrats have done a very decent job of showing the country how they are doing the work, the hard work of, of governing and, and keeping the country's economy in safe hands. What should the message be? How should they think about what Speaker McCarthy has done here and the role he plays in guiding his party forward?
2: Well, what we'll continue to see is on the one hand, House Democrats, Senate Democrats, President Biden, Team Extreme, Team Normal, Team America, Team Get Stuff Done for Everyday Americans against Team Extreme on the other side of the aisle. Team Reasonable, House Democrats, Team Normal versus Team Extreme on the other side of the aisle.
0: It's easy to remember because it rhymes. It also seems to be true. Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries, a very, very busy man tonight. I am deeply appreciative of your time. Thanks and good luck out there. Thank you very much. Now, if the House passes this debt ceiling deal, the bill then goes to the Senate, where any single senator has the power to bring this whole process to a halt. And while the consensus seems to be in favor of passing the bill in the House, senators and in the Senate, senators from both parties, are unhappy with certain aspects of this deal and have already said they will introduce amendments to it. And that means essentially that these senators want to have floor votes. And in those floor votes, they can voice their concerns. Which, in the end, could eat up precious debate time. And in the very worst case scenario, it could end up sending the whole bill back to the House. That would almost certainly push the passage of this bill far beyond June 5th, which, of course, is the drop dead date for the U.S. to avoid default. Right now, Senate leaders Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell are reportedly holding private meetings and they are working the phones. They are also publicly asking senators not to risk everything that has been negotiated over amendments.
3: I can tell you what I hope happens is that those who have amendments, if given votes, will yield back time so that we
4: can uh,
3: finish this uh, Thursday or Friday.
4: We can't send anything back to the House. That would risk default, plain and simple.
0: Joining us now is Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia. Senator Kaine, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I know that you have not been happy about certain elements of this bill. Are you going to support it in the end when it comes to the Senate?
3: Alex, I have an amendment filed to block a provision in the bill completely unrelated to the debt ceiling that would greenlight a very controversial pipeline in Virginia, that no one talked to us about, no one conferred with Virginians about, and they just dropped it into the bill. Um, look, we do amendments all the time in the Senate. We do. We, I've had bills where we've done multiple amendments a day. I'm insisting on an amendment to strip out approving the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Um, this is a pipeline that should have to go through normal permitting processes. But sadly, the deal that was struck gives this a green light, exempts it from all the normal permitting processes. And to build a pipeline, you got to take people's land. This runs through Appalachian, Virginia, some of my poorest, hardest hit residents. They don't want to have their land taken. And they definitely don't want Congress putting our thumb on the scale to take away the power of agencies and courts to review whether it's a good idea or not. So I've got an amendment to say, let's strip out this provision. Uh, well, I, I want to vote on it. And it's not going to delay us. We can do an amendment vote immediately. And I guarantee if this amendment were to pass and it were to go back to the House, nobody in the House is voting for or against this bill because of the green light of the Mountain Valley pipeline. It's not fatal to the bill. It's not kind of delay. And they put it in the bill and it deals with Virginia. They didn't even ask me about it. So I'm fighting for Virginians who are going to lose their land. um, And uh, and I want to vote in my amendment.
0: Are you are you at all concerned, though, that the timing of that might push this past June 5th? That does seem to be the drop dead date for the U.S. avoiding uh, catastrophic economic consequences.
3: Alex, absolutely not. I think the um, House is going to pass this bill and give it to us tonight. Um, I have been involved in bills where I've been the sponsor, where we've done seven or eight amendment votes in a day. There's going to be some Republican amendment votes in the Senate, I believe. And if, if we will allow Republicans to offer amendments, I want an amendment on my, on my provision to strip the Mountain Valley pipeline. And I'll live with the result. You know, if I can convince my colleagues, great. If I can't convince my colleagues, that's on me. But I don't think anybody should cut a deal that affects Virginians, particularly in the hardest hit part of our state, on a really important and controversial project without reaching out to us. And I also think stripping, uh, giving a green light to one project in the United States and saying it doesn't have to go through normal permitting rules, that just opens the door to... Really big problems in the future. Any big corporation that is unhappy with the pace of their approvals in a regulatory environment, that's unhappy with what courts are doing, can just go to Congress and say, Hey, let us bypass you. Everyday people don't get that deal. Everyday people don't get to bypass the courts and have Congress, you know, take a magic wand and give them what they want. We shouldn't do it for a wealthy company either.
0: I just want to, for those who are following along at home here, there are 217 votes, 218. So this is, I I believe, has now passed the House. Uh, That is uh, a big deal for people who have been watching the short but tortured history of these debt ceiling negotiations. Uh, Senator Kane. I got to ask you, and I want to talk in a little bit more detail about the, the Mountain Valley pipeline and why the White House did not bring you into those negotiations. But if your amendment fails, are you prepared to vote yes on this, which is now sh- assuredly coming to the Senate in the next day or two?
3: Um, my only goal right now, Alex, is I want to get a vote on my amendment. OK, um, they cut a deal affecting Virginia without even talking to us. And it hits the hardest hit, toughest, poorest, most challenged part of my state. It affects people and it takes their land. I mean, to build a pipeline, you got to take people's land. Um, In this part of Virginia, Appalachia, people don't have a lot. Sometimes land is what they've got, all that they've got, and they've had it for generations. And they don't want to give it up to a massive corporation that's worth billions that wants to make billions more by taking their land. If there were a decision by regulatory agencies that we needed that, that's one thing. But this thing has been star-crossed from the start because the companies made a lot of mistakes because the previous administration, the Trump administration, was handing out environmental permits like they were visitors passes to the Senate gallery rather than making the companies really do the work that they should do. And I'm not going to abandon the Virginians who have fought to protect their land and just say, fine, the administration cuts a deal without me, I guess I got to whistle and go along. Anybody who thinks that I will do that, they have not been paying attention to the fact that I have been a public servant at the local, state, and federal level for 28 years. Going along with whatever somebody tells me to do is not what I do.
0: Yeah, I got to ask, okay, so the reporting that we have out of the Washington Post is that the reason the Mountain Valley Pipeline and the, the expedited processing of it is in this debt ceiling negotiation in this bill is because the white house effectively agreed to put the the mountain valley pipeline in a separate bill after they secured joe manchin's vote for the inflation reduction act that was a huge part of the this administration's legacy that was a, a signal piece of uh the president's that that will that is the president's legislative record in many ways um other than the infrastructure act do you do you see any sense in the deal making that had to happen behind closed doors with Joe Manchin in order to secure his vote on a, a, a huge piece of legislation with profound effects on the American economy? A lot of things that Democrats support. Do you understand the negotiation that had to happen there? Or are, it, it, I mean, I guess, what is your reaction a- a- to that Alex, reporting?
3: A- Alex, I think that reporting is true. I understand it. But to put it in the debt ceiling, To put it in the bill where we're on the precipice of America defaulting on its credit for the first time in the history, that's not what the White House agreed to. They agreed to, Joe, if you uh, vote on the IRA, we'll try to make this happen. We'll put it in many bills, but they never should have put it in a debt ceiling bill. Um, They never should have put it in a bill where America is at the precipice of default they could have put it in a permitting reform bill. They could have put it in a, you know, an energy appropriations bill at the end of the year. But putting it in a debt ceiling, um, this is a manufactured issue. There is bipartisan interest right now in permitting reform. I'm a supporter of permitting reform. I support the permitting reform portions of this bill, other than the Mountain Valley Pipeline. We could have gotten this done according to hoyle in regular order but for some reason they decided to drop mountain valley pipeline in the midst of a completely unrelated bill we've got to save america's full faith and credit and we'll drop mountain valley pipeline in that who who are these owners of this company that think they're that important i mean that that they are at they're so important that they get to write the terms of their own deal eliminating all administrative and judicial review and make it to be on the par of the debt ceiling deal. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break.
0: Uh, Senator, we we hope to hear much more from you on this. The ball is now in your court because this bill has passed the House. It's it's waking its way over to the Senate. Um, Senator Tim Kaine. I'm glad
3: it's in my court.
0: It is, it is most certainly in your court in more ways than one. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, it's really good to hear your thoughts on this. Every vote is critical, as we know, in the Senate. And um, you seem to have some deep reservations about what is in this. We really appreciate your time.
3: Thanks, Alex.
0: As I mentioned uh, just moments ago... The House has now secured at least 300 votes, which is more than enough to pass the debt ceiling bill through the lower chamber We are going to have more analysis on this breaking news this evening. We just need to go away for a very quick break. So please stay with
5: us. MSNBC is going to be live here all night.
4: Today's news requires
0: more facts.
5: Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the
0: region.
4: More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective.
0: This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country.
4: The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.
0: The bill to avoid a catastrophic default on our nation's debt has now passed in the House of Representatives. The final vote was 314 to 117. That bill appears poised to head to the Senate, where senators face a very tight deadline to push the bill through and avoid sending the nation into an economic crisis. I want to bring into the conversation Jen Psaki, former White House press secretary and the host, of course, of Inside with Jen Psaki on MSNBC. Also with us is Peter Baker, chief White House correspondent for The New York Times. Uh, Jen, I must ask you first, how you look at Democratic unity in this moment. And what Mm -hmm. what about does that surprise you? Does that not surprise you? We just heard from Senator Tim Kaine, was obviously quite incensed about the inclusion Mm -hmm. of the Mountain Valley pipeline in the debt ceiling deal. But other than him, Democrats have basically fallen in line. I think one hundred and sixty five in the House voted for passage of this bill.
1: That's right, Alex. Well, first of all, I think it tells you and shows you that Democrats do not want to default Uh, Many of them are holding their nose, uh, and many of them have been vocal about this, about components of this debt limit package that they don't like, whether it is work requirements for people of a certain age or less funding to go after people who don't pay their taxes. They don't like all those pieces. And there are some who voted against it and said they were going to vote against it because they don't think there should be a negotiation over the debt limit, and there shouldn't be. But ultimately, they are being the adults in the room here, the yeah by preventing the country from defaulting because the impact on people across the country would be dramatic, catastrophic, every possible word. Not surprised at all by Senator Kane. I am a Virginian myself by Senator Kane's, uh, opposition, uh, to the pipeline. He's been, uh, opposed to that for some time. It's not a secret that this was something that Senator Manchin kind of got in a deal. Uh, but Senator Kane is doing what any politician should do and speaking out against the things that he's opposed to. At the same same time, he is not going to, you know, make the. He's not going to vote against this. I bet and allow the country to default. He's just being vocal as
0: as elected officials can be. Peter, you uh, wrote a great analysis of the way in which President Biden negotiated this, which was largely behind closed doors, um, and. I think raised some potential concern among Democrats about what the he would potentially give away to Republicans now that the dust has settled and we see sort of what was given and what was not given and the scope of what Republicans actually got. How do you think this sort of affects Biden's legacy as a dealmaker and his standing within the Democratic caucus in the House and, well, I should say the Senate as well?
6: Yeah, well, look, if President Biden had a different imperative here than some House Democrats, he wants to burnish his reputation as a bipartisan leader, a leader of the whole country. He worked on that his first two years in office. He got the infrastructure bill through with Republican votes, the CHIPS Act, the Semiconductor Act with Republican votes, the toxic burn pits for care for veterans uh, with bipartisan votes. And this is central to his identity. Jen Psaki, of course, knows this better than I do. And I think he wants to be seen as somebody who can still reach across the aisle, even in a deeply polarized time. That's important to him. Now, for a lot of House Democrats, though, that's not necessarily the first priority for them, especially the more progressive Democrats. They're they're more concerned about the things he gave away. And he did give away some things. He felt he had no choice. That's the way a compromise works. And so they registered their complaints, whether in their votes to die or even just in press conferences and statements. That doesn't mean that this isn't a win for President Biden. I think it probably is because this is, this is the result he would have wanted, a result where both parties ultimately hold hands, take something they don't necessarily like, But agree to move on, get the debt ceiling behind them, uh, protect the economy and 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 the accomplishments of his first two years. They didn't get any new things, Democrats, in this. They didn't get an increase in the wealthy tax, tax on the wealthy or minimum wage or anything like that. But what they did was protect most of the gains that they felt like they got in the last two years when they were in charge.
0: Yeah, I, I want to add a caveat to that, Jen. As we try and understand what who got more, who, mm-hmm. who got less, <laughs> the Democrats did <laughs> Who's not in get what as, win
1: column. Yeah, yeah
0: well, but uh, the Democrats didn't actually get anything. They protected things, which seems like they didn't get much. But given the right. fact that Republicans were re- willing to shoot the hostage, saving the nation's economy seems like a pretty big get, though it is not a democratic, a specifically partisan priority. And I. And I I right. wonder you know given the asymmetry there right what Republicans got wasn't much but it was still something more than the status quo you know how should the white house think about future negotiations and should do you think they'll take it off the table the debt ceiling entirely if you're Joe Biden and this white house mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Peter said, of course, that Joe Biden is somebody who likes to pursue bipartisan deals. I wouldn't say this is a bipartisan deal he's framing behind the, the resolute desk, right? This was just about avoiding default. So this case, as you said, Alex, was about preventing the economy from going into a catastrophic downward spiral. Well, this, this wasn't about really getting much aside from preventing that. Now, Republicans control the House. That's a reality. Elections have consequences. I would say that the The pieces of the bill, the final deal here, even if you look, Alex, at the work requirements, which many Democrats don't like and President Biden does not like. I, I wouldn't I don't think most Democrats like it sunsets at the end of 2024. And even the CBO scored it. And you can argue whether this is accurate or not, as more people being added to SNAP benefits. Now, there are older Americans who will no longer be eligible, but homeless and veterans will be. Is that a win? I I don't know. It's not even good policy, but it is not what the House bill was originally. The biggest loss, Alex, is probably the IRS funding because it is very hard to get funding for for the IRS. That's not politically popular for anyone. And that is funding that was going to be in there to help uh, go after people who avoided taxes, make digital filing easier. It's going to be hard to get that back. But I think at this point, the president, the White House, they're just relieved. The Senate is going to pass this because they're a more responsible body on both sides, with some exceptions, than the House is in this regard. And I think they're relieved and they're ready to move forward.
0: Uh, Peter, do you have any sense—the Biden administration has been very—playing their hand very close to their vest as far as the 14th Amendment or other sort of existential uh, methods by which you would get rid of the debt ceiling. Do you have a sense that there is, in the wake of this, if it does pass the Senate as it is expected to, that there is an appetite for taking this off the table entirely, that they will pursue that behind closed doors or through the courts or by whatever, whatever means are necessary?
6: Yeah, it's a good question. Look, President Biden is an institutionalist, right? So I think inst- instinctively he is nervous or not nervous, but wary of challenging long-standing convention, long-standing convention is of course there is a debt ceiling by law. The president doesn't have the constitutional authority simply ignore it. But he told us in the Roosevelt Room just the other day even as he announced this deal with Kevin McCarthy that he is going to look at this, he says, sometime later this year or perhaps next year that he does want to continue to pursue a conversation about this whether so we can avoid this kind of, you know, uh, uh, hostage taking or running up to the cliff kind of uh, scenario again in the future. But he un- uh, anticipates a court challenge if he were to do it, which is why one reason at least he says he didn't do it this time, because he didn't want to take a chance that a court challenge would still leave the country in default while this is being litigated. But uh, it's a question about whether he's willing to take on that that issue. I, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. But I think, again, it's not in his nature to to push that boundary if he doesn't have to. Uh, but he may be at some point frustrated enough to say, I don't want to have to deal with this in a second term if I win re-election. Let's think about doing it now before we get to that point.
0: Yeah. And I would just say for the institutionalists, our, our president, <laughs> preserving the full faith and credit of the United States is a norm worth preserving. Mm-hmm. That too is an institution. Jen Saki and Peter Baker, thank you for joining me tonight. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Alex. Mitch McConnell has now weighed in on the House passage of the debt ceiling, saying now it is the Senate's turn to pass this agreement without delay. So that is a good indicator of what may happen in the upper chamber. Still to come tonight, the price for Republicans to act responsibly on the on U.S. debt is going to fall on some of the shoulders of the neediest Americans. Stay with us for more on that. As President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy have been shepherding Republican lawmakers away from the mutually assured destruction of defaulting on our national debt, some Republicans have been strategically working against them in order to get a leg up on the 2024 presidential campaign trail, where the threat of chaos is apparently a useful thing. This afternoon, it was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis casting this stone in Iowa.
2: We were careening towards bankruptcy before that debt deal, and this country is still careening towards bankruptcy after that debt deal.
0: Yesterday, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy also weighed in.
4: If I were in Congress, that's why I know it's a difficult thing to say, but I would hold the line, vote against it.
0: Earlier this month, we heard a little bit from uh, Donald Trump. I say to the Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to
6: have to do a default.
0: And moments ago, just after the bill passed, we got a little more from the former president who said on a radio show this evening, well, it is what it is. It's passed, and I guess I knew it was going to pass, but we'll get it properly fixed in two years. Former Vice President Mike Pence gave thumbs down to the bill yesterday, saying in a statement the American people deserve better. And Trump's former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley has been using the issue to swipe at her top opponents, noting that in 2018, Congressman DeSantis voted for a bill that increased the debt ceiling and that President Trump, also an opponent in 2024, signed it into law. Earlier today, Senator Tim Scott was asked if he would support this current debt bill, and this was his answer.
4: Short answer is no.
0: We will soon see whether that no vote plays differently in the Senate than it does on the campaign trail. Now that the House has passed the debt deal, the ball is quite literally in Senator Scott's court. For Mr. Scott, it cannot just be a 2024 campaign line. Still more to come on this busy, this very busy night of news with bombshell reporting that key evidence in the Mar-a-Lago investigation is all on tape. Yes, really. We will have more on that just ahead. Of all of the tell-alls to come out of the Trump administration, it turns out this one might actually be the most important one. This is former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows' memoir. It's called The Chief's Chief. As a book, it was sort of a flop. It sold less than 22,000 copies. But as a piece of evidence, well, the research that went into this book might be key to one of the special counsel's investigations. CNN reports tonight that in the summer of 2021, two people working on the chief's chiefs, ghostwriters, met with former President Trump at his Bedminster golf club, and one of Trump's aides recorded that meeting. This was a full year before Trump began giving the classified documents he took with him back to the federal government. But this recording reportedly has Trump on tape talking about classified documents he still had And CNN reports that special counsel Jack Smith now has this tape. Now, NBC News has not yet independently verified this reporting, and CNN has not actually heard the tape. They have only had it described to them by multiple sources. But on the recording, Trump reportedly acknowledges he held on to a classified Pentagon document about a potential attack on Iran. And then there's this sort of unbelievably sources told CNN that the recording captures the sound of paper rustling as if Trump were waving the document around on the tape. The Guardian's Hugo Lowell expanded on this reporting tonight, saying that his sources tell him this document was classified at the secret level, which is the kind of document the DOJ would be inclined to bring charges for. Lowell also reports that the Trump aide who made this recording typically taped meetings between Trump and journalists because Trump didn't trust journalists. Lowell reports that that aide had her laptop and her devices imaged earlier this year, so Jack Smith likely has even more tapes. And if all of that were not bad enough, this tape also reportedly blows up one of Trump's primary defenses— that he has been trying to lay out for himself here, quote, on the recording, Trump's comments suggest he would like to share the information, but he is aware of limitations on his ability post-presidency to declassify records. Acknowledgement of that in his own words and on tape more than a year before Trump started claiming that he could declassify documents just by thinking about them. Feels huge. Something tells me more people will end up listening to this tape than reading Mark Meadows' actual book. Joining us now is Mary McCord, former assistant attorney general for national security at the Department of Justice and current executive director of Georgetown Law's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. Mary, thank you for being uh, with us tonight. What in your mind does this tape and the existence of it do to Trump's defense?
5: Well, I think it makes clear if he's on, you know, a recording and we know the power uh, in front of juries of actually listening to a defendant's own words on a tape recording, uh, it sounds like he pretty much acknowledged having classified information, which... Uh, at other times, he and his lawyers have suggested that he had no knowledge that classified information was taken from the White House. It also so- shows that he's aware he can't share classified information. He pointedly seems to say, according to the re- to the reporting, that, you know, I have this information about General Milley's plans to attack Iran, and I sure wish I could show it to you. But I can't do that because it's classified. Now, I'll note. I think that's a decent possibility that the former president was simply making up that he had classified information written by General Milley because the reporting also indicates he was pretty mad at General Milley. Uh, He had this interview at Bedminster with these writers who were working on Mark Meadows' book very shortly after news reporting had come out that General Milley, in fact, had tried to convince Trump Trump not to uh, do some sort of attack on Iran, and and he was pretty aggravated about that report, that reporting, according to what I've read today uh, in CNN and other news outlets. And, you know, this could very much be a, another case of pres- the former president being petty and wanting to suggest to these writers, I've got something that would disprove uh, General Milley, but I can't share it because it's classified. Now, General Milley knows and probably Jack Smith knows whether a real document exists. And if a real document exists, that certainly puts him in additional uh, legal jeopardy in terms of his criminal culpability for mishandling classified documents. But even if the document doesn't exist, even if he was making it up, it still shows his intent and his knowledge that he had classified information and he wasn't supposed to um, and that he knows that you can't share classified information with other people.
0: Yeah. And, and certainly we have no idea whether it's an actual document or just a blank piece of paper that Trump is using as a prop. Uh, mm-hmm. But but if if let's suspend uh, our, our, our concerns for a moment and just walk with me through the timeline and how it changes, if indeed the former president has classified documents in Bedminster in 2021. That would radically shift our understanding of how and where the documents were moved and the degree to which this obstruction case could be built, would it not?
5: Absolutely, because even, you know, there's so many varying stories about how classified documents came to be in Trump's possession. But, you know, one of the, of the most predominant stories is that they were loaded into boxes when he moved out of the White House and they were taken to Mar-a-Lago and they were stored in that storage unit in Mar-a-Lago. And if there are other documents at Bedminster, How did they get there? That's inconsistent with the story about where things were moved when they packed up the White House. That means either they had gotten there some previous time to packing up the White House or they came after the White House was packed up. If they were moved to Bedminster after the White House was packed up, the question is why and what's the timing of that? And we know there's been some reporting recently about boxes being loaded at Mar-a-Lago, into a truck to be taken at what to Bedminster. We don't know what was in those boxes. We also know that there's been some reporting recently that one of the former president's previous attorneys, Mr. Parlator, uh, resigned in part because of various infighting, including Boris Epstein, um, trying to stand in the way of searching Bedminster. So, you know, we don't know anything for sure, but The timing certainly would lead a prosecutor, and I was a prosecutor for a very long time, to be suspicious about how classified documents might have gotten to Bedminster and if they were moved there after the National Archives began requesting that all presidential records be returned to the National Archives.
0: It also gives us a window into Trump's potential motivation for doing all of this, which may not necessarily be legally that meaningful. But in terms of the narrative for the the optics of all this, for building a case that the public has to get on board with, that would seem to be useful, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, motive, again, like you said, is not legally required, but as a prosecutor, when you go to trial in front of a jury, you wanna be able to explain the why. Why is it that the defendant did what you're claiming through the evidence that you're eliciting that he did? And so with, with the former president, Motive could be multiple things, right? You know, he just loved to kind of like for the for the um bragging power of it to be able to say he's got classified documents. Think about the Kim Jong-un letters that he famously, you know, took with him. Um, but he also, you know, is petty and may very well have just wanted to use this document to try to get back at General Milley. Or he could have a more nefarious motive. Um, and it could be all of those things. And so Understanding the why of it is an part, important part of the story if, in fact, there's going to be an indictment and ultimately a trial. Lots
0: trickling out about this case, including maybe even a potential indictment. We will see. Mary McCord, former assistant attorney general for national security at the DOJ. Mary, it's always good to see you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. We'll be right back. That is our show for tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow.